This morning, we finish our series on relationships and we'll soon begin a sermon series through Judges. The title of that series is No King in Israel. I'm really excited to get into Judges, but I don't want to lose sight of what we've done this summer. I have said almost every week that this summer is foundational. We spent several weeks in a series called Preaching the Service, you may remember. In that series, we considered why we do every little thing that we do on Sunday mornings. So if you have questions about what we do, anything we do and why we do it, why we pray, preach, sing, take the Lord's Supper, confess creed, confess our sins, there's a content bank in YouTube just waiting for you to dive in. But as we seek to follow Jesus together, coming out of two rough years, we are not simply building back Sunday mornings. No, we're rebuilding a community. Yes, the church gathers, and we must think deeply and biblically about what the church does when she gathers, but the church also scatters. A church may have its on-site programs and Sunday morning performers, but if the relationships in the church are not healthy, a church is simply that, a program and a performance. The last couple of months have been a crash course in how our relationship with God informs and orders all other relationships. God helps us think rightly about how to be a friend, how to be a spouse, how to be faithful as one who does not not have a spouse. We've thought in the second half of the series about how to navigate conflict, the importance of forgiveness, and how God leads us through seasons of grief and suffering. This morning, we go back to where we started with a fresh focus explicitly on our walk with God. Here's an important point that is foundational for this sermon and this series. The best thing you can do for your relationship with others is to cultivate your relationship with God. A husband, the best gift you can give your wife is a sincere walk with the Lord. Friends, the best gift you can give your friend is a sincere walk with the Lord. Want to be in a better Husband, wife, son, daughter, employer, employee, friend, keep in step with the Spirit. Walk humbly with the Lord your God. How do you find the strength to walk through seasons of difficulty? How do you find the strength to walk through seasons of conflict? How do you find the strength to forgive someone who has wronged you? How do you walk through seasons of profound grief? Keep in step with the Spirit and walk humbly with your God. I actually had a different sermon scheduled, a sermon on communication to help us think through that key skill in relationships of of listening and and speaking, but I honestly scrapped it because I, I think here at the end of this series, we need to spend time explicitly helping people think more clearly about how to grow in their relationship with God. If I were to ask you this morning to describe your walk with God, what might you say? If you might not respond so positively, then I have good news for you. This sermon is for you. I want you to leave this morning confident, not in your own works, but in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that said, I do want you to leave confident in your ability to work. Here's what I mean, not to work for your salvation, but to work out your salvation, to take real, tangible, actionable steps forward in your walk with God. This morning's sermon title is On Spiritual Disciplines. Now, first, just a quick word, what are spiritual disciplines? I'm not going to actually spend a whole lot of time going through them and saying, this is what reading the Bible is, this is what praying is, this is what fasting is, though I think there's value in that. I think that would have to come after the sort of sermon that we're going to give this morning. 
But quickly, we, we find spiritual disciplines either by command, like God commands us to do these things, or by example. We see Jesus doing them. We see apostles doing them. We see Old Testament figures doing these things. There are things like a scripture intake through listening, reading, study, memorization. Uh, prayer, corporate prayer, prayer individually, uh, fasting, silence and solitude, evangelism, like intentionally going out and sharing the good news of Jesus, gathering for worship, learning, thinking deeply about the things of God, serving, serving in the church, or in the fellowship, and serving in the world, serving your neighbors. I'll spend a little bit of time thinking about what they are just as we go, but I want to spend most of our time this morning thinking about what spiritual disciplines are for. What spiritual disciplines are for. We'll see three things that form the outline of this sermon. First, spiritual disciplines are for godliness. Spiritual disciplines are for godliness. Second, spiritual disciplines are for transformation. Spiritual disciplines are for transformation. And third, spiritual disciplines are for communion with the Lord. For godliness, for transformation, and for communion with the Lord. Look in your Bibles with me in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. This will be a sort of launching pad. We are going to sample other scriptures. Some may be on the screen, some, some will not. Just kind of my judgment in how much we want to listen and how much we're going to look together. And so uh, let's begin our time with 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The word of the Lord Thanks be to God. Uh, Don Whitney has written a really, really good book on spiritual disciplines. I recommend it to everyone. It's Don Whitney, uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And he begins the book with this sentence, discipline without direction is drudgery. Discipline without direction is drudgery. Think about exercise. What is the point of going to the gym? The point of going to the gym is not simply the act of walking into a gymnasium and picking up weights and getting on a treadmill. Like you do these things for a reason. There's a direction. The point is your health and wellness. If you're an athlete in training, the point is to win in competition. If there is no point to challenge your discomfort habitually and repeatedly subjecting yourself to these things, it's pointless at best and drudgery at worst. When a football team loses in the playoffs, guess what they don't do the next day? They don't go to practice. Like we're more willing to discipline ourselves if we know the discipline will pay off. Better put, we are more willing to embrace constraints, uh, repeated actions. We're more willing to form new habits if we know why we're doing these things. The Apostle Paul uses this metaphor of disciplining our bodies to help us understand what's required of us in the Christian life. He confesses and freely admits bodily training has some value to it. It's some value that is worth pursuing. But that value really only holds promise in this life, whereas godliness holds value both in this life and the life to come. There is an even greater purpose for you to pursue. Train yourself for godliness, he tells Timothy. It holds promise both in this life and the one to come. 
This is an important point for us to see, friends. We don't just wake up godly. We don't just wake up uh, the faithful Christian that we, we want to be. We never drift towards righteousness. We don't drift towards holiness. We don't drift towards godliness. Later in this very same passage, Paul will say, with our hope set on the living God, we toil and strive for godliness. We toil and strive for godliness. Now, I'll bring this point home later, but it's important enough to bring up even now. We are not loved by God because we strive for godliness. We strive for godliness because we are loved by God. We're not motivated for his approval. We're motivated by his approval. We're not motivated for his approval. We're motivated by his approval. God does not say, if you discipline yourself more and become godlier at that future point where you're more disciplined, where you're more righteous, where you're holier and godlier, at that point, I will love you. No, God says, I love you and accept you on the grounds of Christ the Son, what he's done for you. And we respond to that love with our whole lives. Spiritual growth is a gracious gift from God. He is the one who gives us life. But the scriptures are full of commands to seek the Lord and live, to walk not by the flesh, but by the spirit, to strive and toil and strain for holiness. That means spiritual growth doesn't just happen. Spiritual growth requires intentionality. The life of faith is like a marathon. I often quote a pastor who has famously said, like, the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. But if the Christian life is like a marathon, then there's some helpful things we can draw from this metaphor. First, one does not simply run a marathon without training. If I tried to run a marathon tomorrow, I I think I'd legitimately die. I I legitimately think I would die. I mean, this would be my last sermon. Um, Sorry we don't have great life insurance. I mean, I don't know what to say. Like, it would be a, a rough, rough event for all of us and my poor young family. Let's just keep going. This is kind of good. <laughs> yet, yet, we often float through Christ, our Christian lives and just assume we're going to make it. Like, we just assume we're going to finish this rigorous, spiritual, lifelong marathon. Brother, sister, read history. That's not inevitable. It's not inevitable that you won't walk away from the faith. Many of us are facing a spiritual marathon and and doing as much preparation as I've done for my marathon tomorrow. Brother, sister, I love theology as much as the next day, but we can't use our theological systems to obfuscate clear commands of Scripture. Paul says at the beginning of chapter 4, now the Spirit expressly says, that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Paul is saying to Timothy that the Spirit has testified, that God has testified that in the later times that they were in it, when this was written, they're in them, and we're still in them, right? In the later times, people will walk away from the faith. Why? Because they are devoted. Paul cuts right to the source here. He says they're devoted to evil spirits and demons. But those things are, the, the, the words they're hearing are coming through the, the lips of insincere people. 
and they have not disciplined themselves for godliness. And so they're disciplining themselves in the wrong direction. There will be people who have not grounded themselves in scripture. They will hear false teaching. Paul cites its source and they'll eat it up. Not being devoted to God, they devoted themselves to demons. In verse six, Paul says, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Train yourself with words of faith and good doctrine for godliness. Why do we pray? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we fast? Why do we do these things? Because we're training for the marathon of faith. We're training for godliness. The spiritual disciplines are for godliness. Second, the spiritual disciplines are for transformation. This is good news for us because the disciplines are not something that only people with uh, theology degrees can do. Anyone can pray. Anyone can read the Bible. You may, you may say, well, I, I, let me stop you there, Pastor. Like, I, I try to read the Bible and I don't know what in the world it's talking about. Like, anyone can, can learn to read the Bible. Anyone can read the Bible in community. Anyone, anyone in the sound of my voice can sign up for a discipleship group. In just a couple of weeks, we'll start working through judges together as I'm preaching through it. Like, you can learn to read the Bible that way. Anyone can memorize the Bible. We can memorize songs, we can memorize all sorts of things. I think one of the just general problems in, in, our, in our faith today is like, we, we, we think people are stupid. <laughs> people aren't stupid, they're not dumb. Like you can do this, you can learn, you can grow in your faith, you can memorize scripture, you can, you can read your Bible, you can do these things if you set your mind to it and, and go for it. Like God changes us, not through these spectacular big things, but, but God changes us through these very simple ways. There is no silver bullet for fixing anything in your life. The various ways the Bible shows us that we can discipline ourselves, things like reading the Bible, praying, going to worship, fasting, etc. Like those things don't change us by themselves, but rather in these ways, we are pointing our hearts and minds to Jesus and he changes us. Spiritual disciplines transform us because spiritual disciplines point us to Jesus. And through the work of the Spirit, he changes us. Because we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we have the hope and promise of transformation. Listen to what Paul tells the Corinthians in his second epistle to the troubled church. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Spirit is, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is Spirit. This is what that means. We have incredible hope in the gospel. And because of this hope in the gospel, we come to God Boldly, Paul says, even bolder than Moses, who beheld God with a veil over his face. When, when one turns to Jesus, that veil is removed, and you can see with the eyes of your heart the glory of God. Beholding the glory of the Lord, Paul says, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. 
That means as we look to Jesus together, God is transforming all of us into the same image. And what image is that? It's the image of Christ the Son. That's why he's given the church of prophets, prophets, that's a new word, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. It's it's why he's gifted the church with spiritual gifts that together we may behold Jesus and grow up into him. Oh, I love how Paul continues his train of thought. I'm just going to read and you just sit back and listen. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. When walking through relational conflict, when walking through grief, when walking through pain, when struggling to find your way as a new spouse, as a single person, as a friend, when walking through difficulty, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Zone in here. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what that means. The same God who spoke light into a dark world speaks light into our dark hearts. He has shown us his glory in the face of Jesus Christ and together as we behold him, we become like him. Spiritual disciplines, what are they for? They help us behold the glory of Christ that we may become like him. Why do we read our Bible? We come to the pages of Scripture to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. My friend, we become like that which we behold. We become like that which we behold. The spiritual disciplines help us gaze in the right direction. Without them, we must ask ourselves, what do we behold? Where is my mind? Where are my eyes? Where is my focus? Where am I looking? What keeps and captures my attention on Monday at 9 a.m., Friday at 11 p.m., and everything in between those times? We don't do spiritual disciplines to look like perfect Christians. We do spiritual disciplines to look to a perfect Christ. We don't do spiritual disciplines to look like perfect Christians. We do them to look to a perfect Christ. I think about it, looking like a Christian, that's, that's really not good. That's exhausting. Have you ever tried to live, look like, I mean, many of you are probably trying right now, like it's exhausting to try and look like something you're not. And anyways, that's not good enough. Do we want to look like a perfect Christian so that others will think we're perfect Christians? Or do we want to look like Christ himself? Oh, brother, sister, aim higher than that. Our goal is not just to look like we have it all together for an audience of people around us. Our goal is to lean into Christ and become like the one who is holy and righteous. We become like that which we behold. Where is your focus? What are you devoting yourself to? 
Friends, the spiritual disciplines help us answer that question with Jesus. We discipline ourselves for godliness. We discipline ourselves for transformation, to become more like Christ as we behold him. And best of all, we commit to spiritual disciplines for communion with the Lord, our third and final point. Uh, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 11 and 12 are just a, one of my favorite sort of extended uh, passages of Scripture. Uh, Hebrews 12 famously speaks of endurance and, and discipline. Good parents discipline their children. And the writer of Hebrews is drawing out how the Father disciplines us and how he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness, verse 10. For in the moment, all discipline seems painful, not pleasant, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. I want us to look together at Hebrews 12. Uh, I think Hebrews 12 is up there. Yes, perfect. Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 24, as we work towards a close. So this is a little extended chunk of scripture, but if, you, if we dig in here, uh, we're going to practice sort of spiritual discipline by digging into this extended chunk of scripture at the end. I think the payoff will be great as we land the plane that is this sermon. Therefore, Hebrews 12, 12, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Verse 14 is crucial. Strive for peace with everyone. Stop right there. That's kind of what we've been thinking about the last several weeks in this series. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Oh, but you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Strive, the writer of Hebrews says, for peace and holiness. Now, even us good Baptists need to keep reading. Strive for holiness because without it, no one will see the Lord. Might make us uncomfortable, but it's a gracious discomfort. It's a holy thorn in our flesh. It's a holy thorn in our theological systems. It's one we need don't let a root of sin take hold in your heart that you don't want to reckon with until the day of judgment when it's too late to deal with it. Don't let sin take root in your heart that you refuse to deal with 
until the day of judgment when it's too late. He uses Esau to make this case. But don't let this lead you to despair. Take heart. Just like the point Paul makes, you've not come with a veil over your face. The writer of Hebrews makes a similar case. He says, you have not come to a blazing mountain filled with darkness and tempest. You have not come to a site so terrifying that even Moses would tremble with fear. No, you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God and you have found a feast. In that city, you see innumerable angels dressed for a party. The assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, a city where everyone is an heir, a city where all the saints of God are gathered. You have come to the city of God with the people of God and the angels of God. And most of all, you've come to see face to face the Son of God, the mediator of a new covenant, a covenant whose blood speaks a better word than Abel's. Worship team, come on up. If you're not familiar with your Bible, that might be um, a confusing line, that the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is the, the word that the, the blood of Abel speaks? Glad you asked. In Genesis chapter four, the Lord said to Abel, what have you done? Well, no, sorry, he says to Cain, Cain has, has just killed his brother Abel. So Cain has killed his brother Abel in chapter four and the Lord says to him in verse 10, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. He says, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. The blood of Abel cries out for vengeance. And the writer of Hebrews goes back and references the blood of Abel. He says, the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, the blood of Abel cries out for vengeance. And the blood of Christ cries out for mercy. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, has shed its blood for you. And that blood covers you. And that blood calls out to God on your behalf. And it doesn't call out for vengeance. It doesn't call out for payment. It doesn't call out for wrath. It doesn't call out for judgment. The blood of Jesus that covers you calls out for mercy. The writer of Hebrews says, strive for holiness because without it, you won't see the Lord. And imagine what you're missing. If you try to look like you're a Christian, but, but your life is never beholding Christ, and at the end of it, you will not see Christ. 
the writer of Hebrews wants us to see that we have come to Jesus, the one who died for us. We strive for our holiness because without it, we are missing out on joy. We are missing out on a feast. We are missing out on glory. We are missing out on a heavenly party. We are missing the glory and the point of the Christian life. Discipline without direction is drudgery. But brothers and sisters, the direction of our discipline is Christ Jesus himself. We read the Bible that we may see Christ. We fast so that we may taste Christ. We pray that we may speak with Christ. We worship that we may celebrate Christ. We read so that we may learn more about Christ. We preach so that we may exalt and obey Christ. We serve that we can be the hands and feet of Christ. We train ourselves for godliness, for transformation, and for the glory of Jesus Christ. What are spiritual disciplines? I think we answer that question all the time. Read your Bible, pray, go to church. And I'm not talking about like once or twice a month. I'm talking like go to church. There might be a helpful sermon. There is a helpful sermon in going through each of those things, kind of like we did with the uh, preaching the service. Here's, what, here's a way to read your Bible. Here's what specifically it can do. I think that's good. But I, I don't want to skip to that. Because I, I think that we do that. But what we don't do often enough is remind ourselves of the direction of our discipline. And I think that quote that I've used so many times, like if you want to build a, a ship, you don't just like start stacking up wood. Like you give people a longing for the immensity and beauty of the sea. And I think when we talk about spiritual disciplines, we need to talk about stacking wood, but we'll, we'll do that later. We need to give our, our, ourselves a longing for the endless immensity of the glory of God. And we will get there as we reorient our deepest longings. We train ourselves for godliness. We embrace spiritual disciplines that we may be transformed together into the image of Jesus. And we train ourselves for godliness and transformation so that we may be holy, so that we may have a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. For as it is written, as the Lord has said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that with this sermon this morning, you would give our spiritual disciplines renewed direction. That you would uh, remind us that we do all these things that you've commanded or shown in your word for us to do as your people. Uh, not just because we think that's what we do and not because those things are ends in themselves, but we do them for reasons far greater. We do them that we may train ourselves for godliness because without that training, we're, Lord, we're on our own and struggling. We do it for transformation, God, that you might take our hearts and shape them and mold them. We do that, we do them with hope that we're not stuck in our sins. And Father, most importantly, we do that to be with you, to turn our face to you now and forevermore. For we have come to Mount Zion.
with our hearts sprinkled clean by your blood, your blood that calls out for mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.